Philippians chapter 2. People say, well, preacher, do you know what you're going to preach on from week to week? If you're preaching through a book, it's the next verses. It's the next verses in that chapter. Yeah, there they go. You talk about some excited kids. Yeah, the kids are being dismissed for children's church. Amen. I like that. I like that. Not that they're being dismissed. I like their excitement. Over yeah. I... Uh, I'm, I know I'm old. I, uh, we, we do things different when we're old. Uh, I, uh, I have a little routine, you know, in the morning with, you know, you shave and you uh, put on this cream and you put on gel on your hair. Uh, thank the Lord I still have something to put it on. And... Uh, <clears throat> Anyway, uh, the other day I went through that routine and I, again, I mean, when you start to get old, you, you, things get all kind of tangled up. And uh, I mean, it, if, you, if you don't learn to laugh at yourself, you'll go half nuts. And uh, until I realized after I got out of that bathroom that I put my hair gel on my arms for my cream, I, I could hardly bend those arms the rest of the day. Yeah, I said, I said, I'm just getting old. That's it. Just getting old. Of course, my wife reminded me that even when I was much younger, I did some of that same stuff too. <laughs> Today, we're looking at a very important subject. And that's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility at the same time. We're going to look at it primarily uh, from the text and the context of Philippians chapter 2 as it relates to our sanctification, as it relates to us being made more and more like Jesus Christ. When I, uh, when I look at this text of Scripture in Philippians chapter 2, and I see that it says, For it is God which worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. People say, oh, preacher, you're a Calvinist. Absolutely not. I don't know how to spell it. I I mean, I I don't want to identify with anything from a man-made box. I want to believe what God has said. And if it says that God works in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure, then I believe that's what he says. And I'll stand upon that. And then it says in the verse before that, in verse 12 that we read, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not talking here about working for your salvation. We find it from the the very beginning of uh, the book of Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul and Timothy are writing, they're, they're identifying themselves as the servants of Jesus Christ. And they're writing to the saints of Jesus Christ which are at Philippi. He's writing to Christians, people that are already saved. And he's talking about their spiritual growth. You see, when we're saved, we're saved in, in, a, in a moment when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. Our justification declared righteous. In a very moment, that happens. And then we're sta- being saved. Now, that doesn't mean in a process of, 
of, of, of one day going to heaven because we're being saved. That means that he is now working in us to conform us to the image of Christ. It's called progressive sanctification. He's working in us to bring us day by day more to be like Christ. So we were saved, we are being saved, and one day we will be glorified and ultimately saved in a place called heaven. So that whole process, here he's addressing sanctification. I, as I look at this, I hear all kinds of people talking about it and uh, most of the stuff I, I want to stay away from because they'll get on one extreme of the issue and they camp there and others get on the other extreme of the issue. And I said, why don't we just take whatever the Bible says? And if both of them can be true, let's take both of them. If God works in you, both the will and do of his good pleasure, and we're to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, let's do whatever it says. Let's stand right there where God stands with it. Can both be true? Absolutely. If God says it, we can be. I, um, in my own salvation, I know that God is working in me, and if, if God's going to make me more like Christ, I can't just sit at home and do nothing. I love the hymn. It's in our book. We won't sing it today. But I love the hymn, 509, Take Time to Be Holy. You, you read that song sometime. Don't have to read it during the service today. But sometime you read the, that song and realize that Take Time to Be Holy is going to take some effort on our part. We're going to have to read the Word and we're going to have to pray and we're going to have to spend time with, with other Christians encouraging us in the things of the Lord, spending time in God, God's house uh, with other Christians. And all of those things, God is working. He's using His Word. He's using the Spirit of God to make us more like the Son of God. But it's both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. I... Uh, have a friend I went to uh, Israel with uh, 41 or two years ago, and uh, he and his brother uh, grew up in uh, Mrs. Hatcher's husband, Jim's uh, church down in Mount Pleasant. Some of, some of my best friends, matter of fact, uh, Gretchen Fant that we were with Wednesday night, who said they may be coming to the hog roast. Uh, they, she grew up in that church in Mount Pleasant as well, saved down there. And, um, but Bud and Leighton Talbert uh, were in that church as well. And, and, and Leighton Talbert has written a tremendous uh, thing. I have, I have used it many times. I've actually printed it. It was an appendix to Jim Berg's book uh, called Created for His Glory. And I have printed it off. I've used it in several churches because it is a good biblical balance on God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Some people don't know how to make that. They've got to stand on one side or the other. And I think you can stand on both because the Bible stands on both. That God is sovereign and yet he has given us responsibility as well. How, how do I know that? How do I know that? I want us to take just a few minutes, and I'm going to go quickly, but I want to tell you about what the Bible has to say about God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, both in my own sinful state and what he does in my salvation, 
what he's doing in my sanctification and what he has done in my security in Jesus Christ. I, I just took and I just started writing things down, some of them without scripture references, but just by memory. What is God doing and what is my state uh, as I look at this subject of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility? First of all, all of us are sinners. I've sinned. I've, I've offended a holy God. There is none righteous no, not one. All of our righteousnesses could be piled up, and Isaiah says, they're as filthy rags. We are strangers, aliens against the grace of God, Ephesians tells us. Having no hope, the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4 says, Satan hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. Now, this is why people will tell me, preacher, I can just go get saved anytime I want to get saved. I said, absolutely not. Not according to the Bible. You just don't up and decide, I think I'm going to get saved today. There's a spirit of God working on you, opening your eyes to the truth that you've been blinded from, enlightening your eyes. God enlightens, he opens, and he opens blinded eyes. Christ died for our sins. And by the fact, he died for the sins of the whole world. Did you hear me? Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Back in Ephesians, that's the book right before the one we're studying now. Ephesians chapter 2, he says, And you hath he quickened or made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we all had our conversation or our manner of living in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But I love the next two words, don't you? But God. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened or made us alive together with Christ by grace you're saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus Then the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Amen. I mean, the, the, the Reformation was all about the Catholic Church saying indulgences and works of salvation. And Martin Luther saw the verse that says, the just shall live by faith. And realized that salvation was by faith alone, by grace alone, 
in Christ alone and only in him. Christ died for the sins of the whole world. Whether we like it or not, the Bible teaches, and I like it because it's what the word of God says. We were chosen before the foundation of the world. Someone has said that when we get to heaven, there'll be a sign that says, chosen before the foundation of the world. But if you turn around and look at the other side, it says, whosoever will may come. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's open to the whosoevers. And I'm very thankful that January the 29th, 1971, in a dorm room at Clemson, I became one of those whosoevers and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. I was a whosoever. You and I today, another principle that we know is that Jesus is the one that saves. We sing a song, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, I love it. I was listening to a funeral and uh, the quote female, female pastor, female pastor was speaking and said, this lady who's filled with demons of addiction has passed away. We know that she is in heaven because, and here's what she said, she believed in Jesus. Did you know James tells us that even the devils believe and tremble? It's not enough to believe an intellectual fact that Jesus actually existed. I tell people I, I was going to miss heaven by 18 inches the distance from my head to my heart. I, 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 I believed in Jesus and George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. I believed in, 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 a, in a human figure called Jesus, but I had never placed my faith and trust in his finished work upon the cross and put my trust in him as I did that night. And I, when I trusted Christ, I went, my knowledge of him went from here to here. Amen. <laughs> Amen. It wasn't enough just to believe in Jesus John chapter 3, same chapter that we quote that most quoted verse, for God so loved the world. In John chapter 3, verse 36, I use this verse over and over and over again. John chapter 3 and verse 36, He that believeth on the Son, what he hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Salvation is of the Lord. Jesus is the only way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. He's called us in Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 to repent and believe the gospel. But there are those that refuse. We have people telling us that if, if, the, if God is working, that nobody can turn it down. <laughs> can I tell you, you hadn't read your Bible. You hadn't read your Bible, or you hadn't been in a revival meeting when you watch somebody grip the back of a pew when the invitation is given. For we've seen that over and over and over again. In Matthew chapter 23, some of you know this passage of Scripture already. Jesus is speaking 
in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 23. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are set upon thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings. But notice the last part of that verse. And ye would not. You refused. You refused. I wanted to gather you in, but you would not. John chapter 6 and verse 44 says, No man comes except the Father draw him. Ah, we, it's not it's, it, 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 the drawing power of God. And he's drawing. Spurgeon called that the hound of heaven. And I tell you what, as I look back on my own salvation 52 years ago, I realized that for a few months before that, the hound of heaven was hunting me down. He was hunting me down. I mean, he was bringing conviction in my heart about how I was living. He said, I, there's got to be something different out there. I didn't know I was trying to put square pegs in round holes and it was not satisfying until somebody that night came and presented the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus saved me that night as I placed my faith and trust and dependence upon his finished work upon the cross. Jesus saves. Matter of fact, I wrote down, him that cometh to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast out. The life that he gives us is eternal life forever. John chapter 10, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. No man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. This is what the Bible teaches. It's God's sovereignty and man's responsibility both at the same time. So many gospel songs, old gospel songs. I, I hear some of them that sound like, now what you got to do is you've got to tie a knot on the end of the rope. And then you just hold on. And if you can hold on to that rope, you can, you can go to heaven. I love the passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. I don't have to hold on the rope. He's already holding on to me. I am kept by the power of God, it says. I am kept by the power of God. That's 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5. It's not Calvinism or Arminianism. It's Bible Christianity. That's what we believe. I remember somebody talking to me. I lost some church members over saying that I wasn't a Calvinist and I wasn't going to preach like a Calvinist. We lost some church members over it in a church, but the church was growing so much uh, but through that that it was hardly, you didn't hardly see them, and they went over and started a Presbyterian church. I've never been a part in my life of starting a Presbyterian church. But anyway, I did then, and uh, they told me, they said, Preacher, you're a cop out if you say you're a biblicist. I said, That's what I am, and I will be that till I die. I'm going to stand on this book and what this Bible says. If it says that God is working into you, both the will and do of his good pleasure, and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, I'm going to believe whatever the Bible teaches. I'm going to believe whatever God has to say about it. Um, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Paul Chappell, he wrote an article in a recent 
magazine entitled God's Got This. He's got a little booklet out, Bible study booklet called God's Got This. He said the doctrine of God's sovereignty is good news for every weary and fearful and discouraged Christian. He goes on to say, it is God's sovereignty and our actions, our human responsibility, that make a difference in the, the unfolding God's purposes for our life. Both of them are true. Both of them are true. And I say, yes, amen, amen. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. And we can take this passage of Scripture and say, absolutely, God is working in us both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Amen to it. And then when he says, work out your own salvation, the fear and trembling, he's not talking about working for our salvation because it's not by works. He's talking about that there's things that we need to be doing if we're going to be growing in Christ Jesus. He's, he's desiring that. Matter of fact, how do I know he's desiring it? Because let's go back to our passage in Philippians chapter 2 and then look back just at the first chapter of the book of Philippians. A verse we've already uh, preached on. Notice what it says in verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Whatever God starts in us, he finishes. He always finishes it. And I'm very thankful today that he does. Romans 8, 28, many of you know it by heart. Uh, All things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Have you looked uh, lately at the next verse of Scripture? In Romans chapter 8, we know that verse 8, 28. People say, preacher, do you believe in predestination? I said, absolutely. I'll stand by predestination. This is being recorded, and we know that people will say to me, preacher, I I heard you say you believe in predestination. Here's what it says in verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. There it is. Predestinate, but he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what we've been predestined to. To be like Jesus once we're saved. That we might, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Yes, it's God that works in me, both the will and do of his good pleasure. And he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As I look at this passage of scripture and look at it now from the purpose of just God making us more like Christ, more like the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not... As I've heard some people say, let go and let God. It's not let go and let God. God is doing his work and then he's asked us to do our part uh, in working out our own salvation. And that it's not by human effort. It takes the grace of God to be able to even read the word of God. It takes the spirit of God to be the teacher to show us what this word is teaching. It's God who's working at the same time as I'm reading. Same time as I'm studying. It's not my human effort alone. If it's human effort alone, you know what it leads to? Legalism. Pride. Hypocrisy. A critical judgmental spirit of everybody else but yourself. And a self-righteous attitude. It's when we take it saying, I'm doing this because I love God. 
And I want to grow in my relationship to him. And I realize that God's doing all this work on me, but he's asked me. And by his grace, he wants me to read the scriptures. He wants me to hear preaching. He, he wants me to, to pray to him in dependency upon, upon the God of heaven. And he wants me to be more like him. He wants me to be more like him. That I might grow in my Christ-likeness. God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, we won't look at it today, but it says to add to your faith virtue. And it goes on, it talks about temperance and gentleness. And all, it's really the fruit of the Spirit. But he's asking us to add that on. How are we going to add it on? Only by the grace of God. But we're supposed to do it because we're supposed to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's, it's, it's a life that I live, but it's because he lives in me and he's working in me. He's working out his plan in my life. The spiritual disciplines of the Christian life, of the word and prayer and fellowship with others, all of those are very important if we're going to grow. It's not just sitting on the couch waiting for something to happen to be more like Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes, we desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. It's going to take the scriptures. It's a command in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18. The last verse in 2 Peter says, But grow, commanded, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Don't stay the same. If you stay the same, if, if, we, if we had a baby born and that baby did not grow, we would take it to the doctor. Something's going on. And in the Christian life, if people are not growing, we, some people grow at different rates, but there's going to be some spiritual growth. There's going to be some fruit on the tree somewhere down the line. Or you kind of wonder, did they get the real thing or not? Because we're supposed to be growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12 of chapter 2, he says this, Wherefore, my beloved, he's addressing Christians, beloved ones. It's an encouraging uh, thing to be called beloved. As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, not only when, you've, when I've been there, but when I'm not there, you have obeyed. So obedience and trusting him is essential if we're going to continue to grow in Christ. Obedience to his word. When I read this passage, I think about, I was a maintenance engineer for three years with the South Carolina Highway Department. And you drive a black state car. Back then we had Motorola radios. You had these big antennas on the back. Uh, Jonathan, you know, the patrol cars used to have these big antennas on the back. We serviced the the highway patrol cars at that particular uh, shop and uh, gassed them up and all of that kind of thing. But they had these radios on there. And so I had five different crews that were out working, mowing, uh, cutting ditches, putting in driveways, patching holes or whatever they were doing. And so 
during the day, I would go around and uh, I work in the office usually in the morning and in the afternoon. After lunch, I'd get out and I would go in to visit different crews or check on different things. And, and I, could, I could just tell you, it happened over and over and over again. You've seen this with, you say, well, uh, I've watched this with highway empl- employees in the past. Um, they're over there sitting on the ditch talking to each other with shovels in their hand. And when that black car rounded that corner, here, here's, the, here's the maintenance superintendent. Here's me coming around that corner. That, that, that antenna just a whipping in, in the wind. And he, there, you round that corner. Those guys jump up off of that dish like that. And boy, they are getting busy. I mean, they like they are working themselves to death right there. Here's what he says. He said, look, you've been obedient. But I want you to be obedient, not in my presence only. Not when I'm there. But now I'm in prison. He's in prison. You keep being obedient. Because if you keep being obedient, he says, in my absence, then you're going to be working out your own salvation, your own uh, spiritual growth to be more like Christ. And I want you to do it with fear and trembling, with a reverence for a holy God. And realizing you want to please him. And then he says, if you're going to do that, matter of fact, to work out your own salvation is impossible without the truth of verse 13. For it is God that worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What's interesting to study about this passage is that he wants us to work something out. But notice, God is not working out. In verse 13, he's working in. He works in us so we can work out our salvation. You have to have both truths together. They run on the same track. So God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. You cannot leave it out. You cannot say, well, I, I, don't, I don't really believe we ought to believe that verse that says God works in you. And you can't leave out the part that says work out your own salvation. It takes both of them running on the same track for us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he meant for me and you. It's God's empowering us to do what he's asked us to do. We work it out as God works in us. If you try to do verse 12 Without verse 13, human effort, it's impossible. It is impossible. But if you realize that it's God working in you as you are now working out by doing what you need to do and obeying and scripture and growing to be more like Christ. For we said earlier, without him we can do nothing. But I'm thankful with him we can do all things. With him we can do all things. A God who sees, a God who hears, who knows us, who loves us, who forgives, who extends mercy and grace to us, who cleanses us, but a God who empowers us as well. He's working in you and he's working in me. He's working to make us more like Christ. And he says to us, you work. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's bow for prayer.
Father, thank you for how you take the word of God and these truths. Help us not to get unbalanced in what the Bible teaches. Help us today to to be people who just simply take God at his word and believe what God has said is true. And Lord, I pray that today, if there's one here without Jesus Christ, not really 100% sure of their salvation, that today they'd be saved. And then I pray, Father, that today that for Christians, maybe not growing, Lord God, you convicted my heart in studying for this message. That Lord, I, I need to be obeying you more, staying closer to you, spending more time in the word and more time in prayer and desiring to be with other Christians that I, that I could grow to be like Jesus. That's, that's our desire. And I know, Lord, that's your desire. I pray that you would show yourself to be strong, help us to be like Isaiah who said, I'm a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But God, I help us to be like Isaiah who was desiring to move forward. Help us to move forward to be like our Savior and to glorify the God in heaven. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.